Welcome to the Spiritual Nomad Podcast, a space for the spiritually curious to explore faith in new and meaningful ways. Open your heart and mind and journey with your host, Luke Bricker, into greater spiritual freedom. Preston, welcome to the Spiritual Nomad Podcast. Thanks for jumping on with me. I just appreciate um, just the opportunity to dialogue with you and, and uh, yeah, I guess share my story, share my heart. And yeah, just, just um, like you said before we start recording, just this space we are currently in, I think as, as a society and as a culture um, really lends itself to hopefully some, you know, deconstruction, some awakening, some enlightenment. Um, that's really my hope. Um, yeah. I know that that's been my story. And, and I, if people want to be on that journey, you know, a lot of like my mentors, a lot of people, pastors in my life, they really use this kind of term of like, I want to invite you, right? Like I want to yeah. invite you on this journey. And I know it's been a journey for me. And so if people want to take that journey, I just, I hope that they do. So I'll just start with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast, uh, they are on a, on a journey and that's why I started it. You know, I felt like I was a spiritual nomad in many ways. And um, that seems to be the folks that jump along, but a lot of like in just like in my own tradition too, you know, is uh, folks who are rethinking their Christian understanding, their what Jesus means, what the scriptures mean to them, what does an actual uh, real life living faith look like. And um, excited to talk through a lot of that and get to know you a little bit yeah, more too. Man, so excited, yeah. that's what's fun about all of these that I've been doing is like I'm seeing people and meeting them for the first time. And uh, I get to be really curious, which is my favorite thing to, to do. So um, I love that. I'm yeah, man. curious and, and want to learn. I think that's, that's really what it is, right? It's like this learning journey. And so yeah, that humility of saying, I don't have it all. I don't know it all. And, and I just want to learn from others. So I love that curiosity. And I feel like I, I have that too. So let's do yeah. it together. Yeah. Yeah, man. I love it. So tell me about your uh, sort of original foundations of faith. Uh, if you, a lot of question I've been asking a lot of people, did you grow up around church, around you know, the Jesus narrative, what sort of home did you grow up in and how did that create some sort of foundation for you? Yeah, I, um, I grew up Catholic. Um, and it's really funny. I've come around to like this deep, profound, like some of my favorite theologians and and people are all like Catholic priests. Right. (laughs) So just like the Henry Nowens and the Richard Rohrs and Yes. Um, just all these people that I'm like, man, like, I wish I would have found you when I was younger. Right. But I grew up um, Catholic. Uh, My parents weren't as practicing growing up. Mm -hmm. My grandma and my, my grandfather, they were very practicing, very devout. Um, And yet that didn't like really kind of get passed down to us. Mm. Um. And so it was like this, you know, pretty, you believe in God, but like, what does that mean? Right. And so I kind of grew up going to church, you know, kind of the CEO thing, right. Christmas, Easter only. And yeah. um, 
very uh, familiar with that term. Yeah, and like um, from the other side, being a pastor's kid, sure. you know, we yeah, always refer sure. to the CEOs, you know. Yeah, we're uh, like attendance doubles or triples, you know, and you have to prepare for it. Helps the but annual anyway. stats, though. Oh, so. for sure. It does. <laughs> Anyways, especially if there's an altar call, that helps a lot too, right? Um, Absolutely. So anyways, yeah, I grew up that. And then um, my sophomore year of high school, I started dating a girl and, and she was a PK and started going to a non-denominational evangelical church. Um, he became like a second father. He became like a mentor. Um, and then I had two youth pastors that really kind of walked alongside me. And I... Well, I don't like the terminology, just I think for your listeners, they will understand, like had this born again kind yeah. of um, experience at about 17, I really started to profess that Jesus was my Lord and Savior and um, started to really walk in that evangelical, super like pious um, I don't drink, I don't cuss, mm-hmm. I go to all these Bible studies. I go to youth group. I go to church. I get involved in campus ministry where I'm, when I'm in college, like, you know, we're abstinent, like all the whole nine. Right. Like, and I, I live that seriously for from 17 until about 23, you know? Um, so I'm 33 now. And, um, yeah, I I walked that path really heavily. So that's kind of how everything started. Um, so around got, 23, what, what started the change around that season of your life? So that girl um, I had been dating for since I was 15, we got married going into our senior year of college. And we graduated college, um, came back home, we got jobs. And then she came to me one day and was like, this isn't working. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got divorced about like six months later. Mm-hmm. And it was like this, it was just like this spiritual transformation where it went from like, now I have the scarlet letter, right? Mm-hmm. Where I, I could, I, I think I was quietly judgmental of people. Mm-hmm specifically like in college like i said it was like you know no sex before marriage not drinking not doing all these things right and so i could judge people pretty easily and quickly and and then it's like well now you've got the scarlet letter and Mm. now there's judgment on you and now people are like oh you got divorced like and i you know i wanted to go to seminary which i ended up doing but I didn't get accepted to some seminaries because of that. Um, wow. Like, it's just, it was, it was one of those where it was like, now the tides have turned. But then there was also this like real deep, I think, intimate spiritual formation that was going on where um, my faith kind of got put to a test in terms of the whole like dynamic of like, if God's real, like, are you going to show up and will you help heal my heart? And will you help me overcome this? Cause that was like the probably recognizing now how privileged I was like, that Mm -hmm. was the hardest thing by far I had gone through. So it was like this real 
God, can you rescue me kind of a thing? And through that, I think there was this clinging to the God I had known and understanding that like God doesn't this, I think this was the initial thinking of like, God doesn't live in this box. Mm. Right. Because I, I prayed and prayed like God saved my marriage. God saved my marriage. God saved my marriage. And God didn't. Mm. And it was like, I thought I had done everything right. Right. To like, I think just in this conservative kind of Christian mindset, we have this perspective and I say we, because I live that. Right. Um, But we have this perspective that if you do a and B and C, like you have this blessed, perfect life. Right. Right. That got blown up. And so I think it was the initial, um, once again, like God was just like, I don't live in this box that you've created. Yeah. So that was the first thing I think. Yeah. I think secondly, like the first job I got out of college. So I, I graduated with a math degree. Um, so I'll back, I'll back up a little bit. While I was in college, I volunteered and I was um, like helping tutor kids in the housing projects in Denver. And, and I was taking like this sociology class that was really like blowing me up because it was talking about inequities we see in society. Mm. And then along with that, I had to do community service. And so it's like, I was learning through like textbook reading, but then I was also learning through experience. Yeah. And I was like, just like this veil was starting to like slowly come down of like, Oh my gosh, like privilege. And, and just even like subtle, even though I couldn't coin it at the time, like seeing like racism, Mm like right in front of me. And so, um, so from that experience, I was like, man, I really think I want to be like, like I want to work with inner city kids and what's the best way to do that. And at the time people were like, well, go be a teacher. And so I was pretty good at math and I got my math degree and then I got a job teaching math in an inner city school in Denver. Um, Mm. It's a community called Park Hill and it's uh, a traditional blood gang neighborhood for Denver. And um, the school is like 95% kids of color, 95% free and reduced lunch. Um, and a lot of the families, like they had gang ties and, and I loved it. Like I fell deeply in love with the community and the young mm. people. Um, which kind of sent me down this path of like, I love you as this young person that I'm teaching, but I love you more than just like this math that I'm teaching. Yeah. So I was like really seeking out, like, are there ministries? Um, Cause I still like had my faith and I was still growing in that. And I was like, are there ministries that are, that are doing this work with this this population but like holistically right like yeah mentorship or um community activism or anything like that and so i found a couple ministries um and like i said i was in seminary at the time and um i was like at i did some work at liberty which is super conservative and then Mm -hmm. did some work at denver seminary which is also fairly conservative and um 
and so I found these ministries and I started volunteering and, and I started mentoring a young man that was at a long-term facility uh, for young men in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And still to this day, the biggest gang member I've ever worked with. And once again, I'm like, I fell in love with this young man. I'm like, gosh, like, Mm-hmm. He and even to this day, so like I said, I'm 33. We met when I was 24. He's now 25. He's in prison, um, but he's as close to a non-blood relative I probably have. Right? Wow. Like he's just like that's my little brother. Um, we talk regularly. He's hoping to get out soon. We've already kind of made commitments that he can come live with us. Like but that started this trajectory like this it's just like this slow journey i've been on for like the last 10 years i mean you could say my whole life but really the kind of this deconstruction so what happened from there is i i worked as a teacher i was volunteering at that facility i worked as a teacher for about six years i did that school that first school and then i worked at an alternative school Mm -hmm. and then um I jumped into like full-time ministry. I was a chaplain at that facility. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, um, I just met kid after kid. And so that's the longest term facility in the state for boys. So like, this is kind of their last chance before prison. Like they've kind of been through all these other like group homes or these other programs or like they've done probation. And, and this was like, all right, nope, we're going to send you here. Um, So you have like a lot of like pretty active gang members, a lot of like um, a lot of mental health, a lot of trauma. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about like your idea? Like, so, you know, 17 year old born again, very somewhat maybe rigid would be an okay word to say about your faith. And then how through your experience, through seminary, through this path and, really feeling like, you know, your heart breaking open for this. How is, how did like your, your view interaction and experience with God morph and change? You, you spoke a little bit about like the, the box that, you know, God was put in, uh, but and how it wasn't like that. But yeah, if you could just talk a little bit about like the evolution of how God is interacting with you through all of this and revelations that are coming to you. I'm, I'm super curious about, about that. Yeah. So I'm a chaplain and I had um, multiple experiences where young men would come to me and they would say like, yo, like, I appreciate you. Like, why do you do this? And um, I would say, do you like, do you really want to know? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, well, to be honest, I could do this because of Jesus. And they would say like, F Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm like, where was Jesus when my dad molested me? Mm. And where was Jesus, like, when my mom's, like, using drugs? Or, like, when my mom gave me drugs and I'm, like, 10 years old? Or, like, when my brother was killed? And it's, like, at first, once again, in my rigid, as you would say, like, my rigid Christianity, um, I would give, like, these nice little packaged biblical, like... (laughs) Right? God's sovereignty and like God's still with you and all of these things. And then like, 
I got to a point, I can remember it vividly. It was this, this young man and we're sitting there and he said that very thing. He was like, well, where was Jesus when like I was abused in Russia? Cause he was adopted. And then he's like, and then I get adopted and I come to America and then my, that family abuses me. And then I get kicked out and I'm homeless. And like, where was Jesus? Whoa. And he had like pretty significant mental health and, and I, I do believe with everything, like the trauma he experienced, like triggered this mental health in him. And, and so in my evangelical mind, I started taking this rabbit trail, right? Of, okay, if, if this young man dies tomorrow, mm. literally, where does he go in the afterlife? Yeah. And I was like, well, he hasn't professed faith, so he's going to go to hell. And then it was like this light bulb that was like, and I, and I want to believe it was the spirit. Like that was like basically calling BS on that. Yeah. Like no way. Like you think that God is going to send this young man to hell because of the things he experienced that he can't get to a quote unquote saving faith. No way. Right. And then it was like, things started to unravel. Mm. Cause then I'm like, well, then how do I even read the Bible? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) That was a similar journey for me. It was the afterlife sparked all of this stuff, you know? And what do I do? Like literally like part of my job is like, I want young people to come into a saving relationship with Jesus. Like, so what am I doing? Right. And it was like story after story. And then it was like, then it morphed into really blatant in my face, seeing like systemic oppression Mm. and being like seeing young people who never were given a shot. Yeah. And then seeing how the system had literally set them up to like F them over. Yeah. And, um, so seeing stuff where, you know, you, you shared before we start recording, like where you make a phone call, well, or a young person calls me from a county jail. And then it's like, in order to access that message, I have to pay like $6. And that was for like 30 seconds. But then it's right. like, when kids call me from prison and it's like, you get on the call and it's like, Hey, there's an initial like $10 charge on your card. And then it's like a dollar every minute after you're like, wait a minute. Like this phone call is going to be like 30, $50. Like when I'm done. (laughs) And then you think about, okay, like, okay. Who are the parents that are talking to their children Mm. and knowing the communities they come from and knowing like, the struggles that they go through and thinking through like okay well that mom she's a single mom and maybe the son or the husband was like another um form of income right and now the income is gone so now Mm. she's working more and then we're asking her to pay to talk to her son or daughter and not just pay like a dollar like we're saying you know this might be upwards of 100 to 200 dollars a month and like commissary like you know we've all seen shows of like the terrible food that they get and that's reality and so like you know the kind of the term that 
young people talk about is like money on my books. And that's like, can you give me money to like buy hygiene, like quality hygiene or like decent food? Well, that food or that hygiene's upcharged. Wow. So anyways, all that, like I started to see these like legitimate systems in how people were making profit mm. and how the communities my young people came from are the direct communities that were products of like redlining yeah, and, and over policing and war on drugs and like crack and like, like literally seeing like the, the connection between racism, oppression, and now like where my young people are. Yeah. So then I'm like, then spiritually I'm, I'm thinking not only do I'm, do I think about heaven and hell, I'm thinking about like, well, did God like intend for me to be blessed and them not to be blessed? Mm -hmm. That doesn't make sense. Right. And then I was sitting in a staff meeting and we were talking about just like how prayers had been answered and, um, and it was specifically for like a community that's in Denver, that's much more privileged. And, and in that, um, in that time, this was a couple of years ago, my good friend, Amy Williams, she does like a lot of um, gang intervention work out in Chicago. And she posted that, you know, like over the weekend, like 50 people were shot. Mm. And I'm like thinking in my head, like, don't you think people are praying like desperately on their knees, constantly praying to see violence stop in Chicago? Mm. And it's not. Yeah. So then that took me down another rabbit trail of like, okay, well then what does that mean about God? Like, does God care more for these people than these people? Can't mm. believe that. Right. And that's contradictory to the message that you hear in every evangelical church. If God loves everyone, then how is it that it's apparent? Apparently he doesn't, you know, it's For literally God so love the world. Yep. <laughs> right. That he gave that who's and it's like those whosoever's who believe in him. I, you want to talk about real faith. You go to harder neighborhoods. <laughs> I mean, that's just the fact, you know, like, Whenever I was on staff at a church uh, up the street in Oceanside and um, wonderful people there. And we did a lot of work just by proximity. It was in more of a gang affiliated neighborhood and we had a lot of homeless folks and everything. And, you know, you don't know the faith of those people until you're actually with them, you know, unlocking the, the uh, food pantry after hours to get them food because this is it for them. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. you want to talk about people who... <laughs> My dude I, I got <laughs> i got two kids so i totally get it man um but like when when we want to talk about like oh well you just need to have faith and god will will bless you and and do all yeah. these things it's like you want to talk about real faith these lower income neighborhoods and things they have faith. why why are they not and i think that was the thing for me is like with you is well there's different systems here this has nothing to do with necessarily god's uh, love, compassion, or anything. This has a lot to do with if there is a fall of man or sin, uh, we're the perpetuators of that in this moment. We are the antichrist in, in many of these people's lives. Now what do I do with that theologically? You know, and uh, you're right, staff meetings and, you know, 
uh, more suburban areas just don't have as much, I don't know if it's as much uh, tolerance for it, but it's also just lack of perspective, I think, in a lot of ways too. Um, but anyways, yeah, so you talk about that. Like, how, does, am I really led to believe that God cares about me or loves me more than this person? No. And it's not predicated on my faith, <laughs> you know? Um, yep. Takes yep. a lot more faith in, in those folks. So anyways, um, so when tell, talk to me more about that staff meeting and, and what that was like and to pick back up where you were. Yeah. So I, I think I, I had this crisis where I was like, this isn't working. You know, I didn't share that. I, yeah. um, I really kept uh, quite close to my vest and, and it was, I've shared it now, but I just was like, either if I don't find people, I, I'm such a brainy guy. So I'm, I'm a six on the Enneagram. I'm a, I'm a heady, you know, math, analytical. Five so wing me, maybe, huh? I'm a five winger. Yep. Yeah. So um, if I don't find people that can theologically help me understand this, and then find people that have been in the trenches that have mm. kind of reconciled their faith, I will lose my faith. Mm. Yeah. And so I, you know, I really truly believe, you know, the cool thing through all of this for me personally, once again, like this is, I've seen the spirit, mm-hmm. whatever other people want to equate that with, I've seen spirit move in my life um but all that to say like i had mentors that were like hey yo like i get it that were in the trenches that were like homeless ministries or you know kind of third world country like and not like white savior missionary type but like just deeply invested in like third world um or like in similar circumstances in inner city communities and and it was like, you know, my favorite people in the world, Ryan Taylor, um, mentor to me. And, and he was, he would just start being like, Hey, read this. Mm. And so, you know, it started, like I said, with like Henry now and then some Richard Rohr and like Rob Bell. And, right. How did that, when did that come onto the scene? And was that where on the timeline of your journey was that? Yeah, it's a good question. So, like I said, so 23, I'm teaching, I get divorced, I'm starting to volunteer um, in seminary, getting a very conservative background and understanding and just perpetuating that. And then probably, like I said, um, I would say about 27, right around there, 27, 28, because um, okay. I had been on staff and I was doing the chaplaincy stuff and start really overseeing like ministry to other like juvenile facilities. And that was right around like 27, 28. So yeah, I mean, between like 27 and 30, I'm just like consuming um, different people. And yeah. so, like I said, it was, it was really around like the, the hard questions, but then also just like this perspective of God, like the Richard Rohr stuff. It's like, yeah, even at the time I couldn't even, 
there was some stuff like, I don't even get this. Like, what yeah. are you talking about? Yeah. Right? Because you're just like, I yeah. just am so far from where he is. And, and so like, you know, Henry Nowen kind of like helps with like, even my spiritual formation and totally man, his stuff yeah. is so good. The way of the heart, such a good little book. All of his little books, you know, like just, they just radically shaped me. Um, and then it was like, I really started to like lean into kind of the Franciscan movement and be like, Oh, so like, this is what it's about, right? Like faith and action and really being with the most marginalized and yeah. And so your experience gave way to that really in a lot of ways. So like, yes, this wasn't necessary, even though you are a heady guy, it wasn't necessarily like an armchair theological pursuit. It was like, you know, you had your mind made up about things. You were met with stuff in real time and almost in a way, maybe by divine providence or whatever, were, yeah. was <laughs> invited into a new way of, of understanding the nature of God and his connection to the world. Because uh, something tells me that Rob Bell and Richard Rohr prior to those experiences wouldn't have set to nicely. I don't know, <laughs> but you tell me how that would have been like, without that experience i mean theologically you'd be on different playing fields right well that's the thing is like i remember vividly there was a this is right when i like was dabbling right and a former youth pastor he uh he wrote on facebook and he's like i'm on a flight and guess who's on my flight and he says dot 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 rob bell and the comments were Mm. like i hope you can save him i hope you can Uh, preach the gospel to him and I was Uh, like and then hearing more about Rob's story like you know at least from what I've heard like him like going into like seclusion and like just really being so ostracized and a lot of people reference kind of like the the John Piper of like you know farewell Rob Bell and yeah and I'm like and when I read Love Wins now like this I I read Love Wins like maybe a couple years ago Um, yeah I was like, man, this isn't even that bad. Like, <laughs> I, I had the same experience. I had the same experience. Whenever it came out, I jumped on the bandwagon. When Love Wins came out in 2011, I was in um, Orlando at the organization called Youth with a Mission, YWAM, very Pentecostally charismatic. Mm-hmm. And everybody was just like, this book's wrong. And I just nodded along. Yes, this book's wrong. Never even cracked the thing open, you know? And then it was like years later, I was working some crappy job after depression and complete vocation loss mm-hmm. and i was like i'm gonna listen to love wins and i listened to love wins in 2016 and it i was like why a why did i demonize this and b i've listened to way gnarlier way. stuff than this man like what was i even worried about this is like pg-13 you know oh, for like sure. for sure <laughs> i'm like man rob was pretty tamed and like you guys literally said this man was like the spawn of satan like i just which is evident of a lot of the conservative movement just how reclused they are from potential ideas um that surface because the reality is rob was simply asking questions that probably everybody else in these people is these people's church have thought before our thinking and just bringing up a conversation and the way that that was handled just made me think like you know, it, 
it was revealing a deep, ugly underbelly of like confirmation bias within the greater church. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So <laughs> he keeps showing me his candy. Oh, that's <laughs> the door sweet. Left. <laughs> I get it, especially quarantine. I don't know what it's oh like in gosh, Denver, man. but here everybody's locked up again. So sure. yeah, I get it. Um, yeah, man. So with your, with that time, uh, the experience giving way to new sort of uh, thoughts about God and that. Um, so you have kids now. It, it, what's been your experience like? Um, I don't know if you're, you, you're married or you're not married or just like you're, are you still doing the chaplaincy stuff? Like what is, how has life sort of taken a new route based on the experience, based on theological sort of uh, deconstruction, reconstruction? How do you view that and how is that impacting your life right now the spiritual nomad podcast is a ministry of current collective church a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to holding space to experience the divine in healing and transformative ways that enable us to live into the fullness of a truly abundant life If you enjoy this podcast, please consider a tax-deductible donation to support our ongoing effort to reimagine spiritual community. Visit thespiritualnomad.org slash give to contribute today. Thank you for your support and partnership. Yeah, so I, I started just like reading that stuff. And then um, I really wanted like a deeper theological framework. And so the one person I say that has had one of the biggest impacts is like Walter Brueggemann. So mm, yeah, um, being Old Testament scholar and really around like power, empire, oppression. And then what he did for me was he gave me this lens through which to read the Bible. Um, mm. Cause there was a moment where, you know, I'm, I'm full-time ministry. I'm like leading staff and volunteers and talking to kids. And I'm like, I don't want to touch the Bible with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. But all along, like my prayer was like, God give me lens through which to see this. Yeah. And I didn't know if it would ever come. I open it up and I read it and I'm like, gosh, like, I, I can't, you know? And then all of yeah. a sudden, once again, like I talk about the veil and it's like, the veil was just like dropped mm. and people like Walter Brueggemann. And, and then I really started to dive into like liberation theology um, yeah. because for me, it was around like, once again, who is in the context of oppressed people, people facing oppression and trauma and systemic racism And yet they have a view of God that's like honoring and empowering and liberating. And I just like, and I don't know, like kind of the subsequent steps, but I just, you know, then I started, like I said, get into kind of this liberation theology, post-colonial stuff. And and I was like, this is it. And, you know, I still think I'm, I don't have all my answers, right? I'm still almost like in this quote unquote, deconstruction or even reconstruction of you know kind of yeah richard Rohr says like um 
order, disorder, reorder. Um, yeah. Maybe I'm still in this like reorder, which is, and I don't know if I'll ever be fully reordered. Right. But right. Cycles um, of those things happen throughout yeah, our life. For yeah. sure. For sure. And I feel that because new questions pop up and um, so anyways, I, I really, um, and then it was like, I started to crack open the new Testament and the gospel specifically. And that started to jump off the page too. Cause I was like, how did I miss this? Mm. Like Luke three, where John the Baptist comes in and he's like brood of vipers. And he's like, repent, the kingdom is near. And then he starts baptizing and he baptized like Roman soldier, soldiers, tax collectors, religious leaders, yeah. all people in power at yeah. the time. And then they say like, what do we do? And the answers he gives them is like all practical economic stuff. Yeah. He doesn't say like, Hey, I need you to like say these things and believe. Right. It's like, no, it's if like, you have two tunics, you give one, you give one away. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so I was like, and then you get to Luke four and you're like, right. And then you get to like Nicodemus and Jesus is like, yo, you need to be born again. And then you get to like Zacchaeus and it's like salvation has come now. And you're like, these are people in power that and once again, this is around social economic stuff. And I'm like, I thought I was a biblical literist, literalist and I wasn't. Mm. And so it's like, cause if I was literal, like Matthew 25, like, yeah. And so I started to like, once again, like, I just think the lens through which I was able to read the text was like, Jesus is incredible for me. Jesus is literally journeying and loving and empowering and honoring the most marginalized people in his context. And then I think, you know, there's this, this love, but also calling out like the love and truth piece where Jesus is like, Hey, like I love all people, but what you're doing to marginalize and oppress people, like it's not okay. Mm -hmm. And then you see Jesus like get crucified by two empires because he's like, I'm not going to stand for it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I got to this space where I'm like, I'm deeper in love with Jesus than I've ever been. I want to follow him closer. But like, there's this element of like, I just see Jesus and God and, as like, throughout the entire Bible being like, we're going to create a just, equitable, inclusive society. And that's mm. what we are about. And it's gotten so tainted. And so I guess for me right now, it's like, you know, um, and, and I haven't even shared, but like I've had numerous friends um, come out mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and that was probably like between once again, 25 and 30 and having to wrestle with, okay, now where do I stand on this? And yeah, yeah. You know, and at first, once again, it was like, I'll, I'll be honest with my own journey. It was like, okay, well, I don't know. And, and now it's like, what? Like, God is fully mm. inclusive, so I'm fully inclusive. I'm affirming, you know, and so it's like, you just start like walking this path because you're like, how can God not be? Mm -hmm. um, and so really, like, I think even my wife and I, like, we were sharing, yeah, so we're, I'm married, one son, Uriah, um, my wife even like pulled somebody up on social media and she's like, I like like what she's saying. And she's a Christian. And then she paused and 
we both looked at each other like, well, what kind of Christian? Do you know? <laughs> like, and then we started to read some more stuff and we're like, ah, like we just came out of that, like, you know, not going back kind of a thing. And so, um, yeah, I think I, I don't, the whole evangelical stuff, like I can't, it's really hard for me. Um, especially yeah. now in our context, I, my young people are the culmination of systemic racism, oppression, trauma, mental health, and everything I see in culture. It's like they continue to be demonized by, mm-hmm. you know, kind of religious nationalism. And, and specifically, you know, and I, I don't like to generalize a lot, but like by evangelical church. And um, so I just can't stand by with that. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, and so my life is still deeply like rooted in my following of Jesus, um, my wife as well. Um, but like I said, it's just this radical new vision of who God is, who Jesus is for us, who Jesus is for society and what he's called us to. And yeah. Um, so still like doing work with our, with our young people and really asking those hard questions about like, how do we remove systems and structures that oppress people? Because we believe biblically, like that's our mandate. And like, for instance, I met with a young man and he just got out of prison and, and uh, very active gang member. And he's like, Preston, like, I just want to do well. Like, I just want to do well. Like that's, I want to like change my life. Right. And I'm like, all right, bro. Like, is there any way I can help or, come alongside you like is there anything I can do and he's like well first off I need a job which is typically every one of their answers and then he pulls up his pant leg and he's like I gotta pay $350 a month for this ankle monitor (laughs) and I'm like so young man has a felony multiple felonies just gets out of prison known gang member you give him an ankle monitor but then you're like yo you gotta pay for it I never knew that people had to pay for that. Yeah. And like a lot of times, like people have to pay for like them being incarcerated, right? Like they'll have to pay restitution when they get out. They have to pay for like their fees, their court fees. Like, um, you know, I had another young man, quick story. He very active gang member. He gets out of jail. He's on probation in one County. So like the stipulations you have for probation, like they can be lenient or they can be pretty intensive, but like pretty standard is like, you have to do UAs. um, Mm -hmm. You have to meet with your PO. You have to have a full-time job. So he gets out. Well, the gang unit, because he was so active, like the gang unit was like harassing him like daily. Like he'd get home and they'd be like, where were you? You know? And they'd, ask people that dropped him off, like, what were you guys doing? And so his car gets stolen. It gets in an accident. There's nobody at the scene. Well, they assume it's him. So they lock him up and he's like, I wasn't there. Like, and you don't have evidence. I was there. And he kept telling me he would call me and write me and be like, Preston, like I wasn't, I didn't do this. Well, he couldn't bond himself out because he had a probation hold. Mm. Well, he has two kids. So he's not being able to provide for his family, but he can't get out, but he's claiming innocence. So he told me like, I'm going to take it to trial. 
And that for them, like to take something to trial is a big deal because they know that the system and the cards are stacked against them, that if they go to trial, most likely, especially if they have a public defender, like they're done. Like the jury will convict them and they will get the fullness of that punishment, which is a whole other thing. That's why a lot of them take deals. And that's why DA like percentage of like, you know, their prosecution rate is super high. That's a whole nother conversation around this. But for him, he took it to trial. Six months later, they dismissed the case because they didn't have the evidence. Six months. Mm. So he's not able to like provide for his family. Well, they let him out. But when they release him, they give him more probation. Mm. So they give him a gang intensive probation. And he's like, why? And they're just like, because we can basically. Wow. So even though he's not convicted, he has two probations now in two districts. And then he has a job and one of the probation calls him and is like, hey, if you don't get down here like, and do your UA, you're going to go back to prison. And he's like, well, if I leave, I lose my job. <laughs> you know, and so then he like ends up violating probation and he goes and does prison time and, you know, and it's like, so Man. now he has more felonies. And, and so that's just the system saw that to say like the, our heart is to continue to walk alongside, you know, young people facing like oppression and trauma and which means a lot of them are justice involved. A lot of them are gang involved. And we want to empower them to be the leaders that like their communities need. And, and how do we do that? Like in an honoring and empowering way and with justice and equity and inclusivity yeah. and all of that. So, um, yeah, yeah, man, man, that's, I mean, it's good stuff. It's heavy stuff. Um, it's stuff that we need to hear, you know, and um, even those of us that really uh, follow a lot of the spiritual path. Sometimes we don't enter into this conversation as much. And where I was on staff, I mean, this, these were the conversations all the time. Um, and so I think that luckily I have a little glimpse into some of these, but for people that are just hearing about some of this stuff, I think it's going to be majorly shocking to them. Even me being hearing about it. It's still, every time I hear it, I'm just like, wow, you know, it's jaw dropping when you really look at some of the systems that are in place and how people are anybody would just be like, what am I supposed to do? Like really what, what logical sense does this make for another human being to try to pull off? You know, um, as we wrap up, I'm, I'm just curious following some of this theme of like reconstruction and you, you use the language of uh, following Jesus and for a lot of folks that are deconstructing or in that sort of space that's like the last thing that they want to hear at certain times because of the, you know, for, for good and reason. I was the same way. I'm like, I don't want to hear one more person talk to me about quote, following Jesus, you know? Um, but now I have a, a completely re reframed paradigm about what that actually means. So I'm curious if, um, as we wrap up, if you can just talk a little bit, maybe to the folks who are, beginning to soften to the idea of what that means to follow in the pattern and the way of Jesus as he, he references himself as this is the way, right? Uh, so what that looked like for you, like you said, I wouldn't touch the Bible with a 10 foot pole for a while. And, you know, something tells me that probably Jesus was in the mix of that and using that language too, you know, uh, what was that like entering back into that place, maybe being okay with some of that 
and uh, that other people might be able to to see it from your example with it? Yeah, I mean, I first, I think I want to say, like, um, like I said, I think I've been as critical um, of Christianity, especially like American white Christianity, like colonialism, slavery, um, Jim Crow, redlining, like all of these war on drugs, all of the, a lot of these initiatives, like were really heavily backed by the Christian church, Christian clergy, mm-hmm. um, white men that said they were pastors and reverends and, and like, that's the most distorted version of like Christianity and like who Jesus is. And even like this image of like this white Jesus, like really, you know? Um, right. And so I think all that to say, like, I've been very critical. And so I think, um, I think one, giving people, like, give yourself permission. Like, you don't, maybe you don't come back to following Jesus. The reason why I use that term is because um, so much of my experience around, like, evangelicalism is, like, believing, right? We call things, people believers. Right. Which, what I think that does is that says, as long as I have my personal relationship, once again, like individualism versus communal. And that comes back to like all of this, like contextual, like liberation stuff that I've been talking about, but like it gives people almost an excuse to say like, well, I I believe the right things. So I'm good. Right. So as long as like I repent of my own personal sins and I'm good, instead of saying like, like this is a systemic sin problem, this is a communal sin thing. And, um and so i think like the reason why i call myself a follower is like i said when i read the gospels i see jesus doing like these radical things and i also see who jesus spent time with and who Mm. he also called out and then who killed him and i'm like and i like i'll follow that path Mm. yeah Yeah. like my if we were to put it in context to today i'm like jesus would be with my young people and he would be calling out the system and and I'll follow that. So anyways, I think that's why I call myself a follower. Um, yeah. And I, but I get the, the spiritual religious church baggage that comes with that. Mm-hmm. So I think giving permission of like, you might not get where, to where Preston is and that's okay. Um, that really is okay. And I think that there are um, like God, once again, don't put God in a box. Like God is bigger than that. And I think the people that, I'm assuming that listen to your podcast, there's this deep spiritual hunger. Right. Yeah. And so people are like, I don't know if I can get to that whole, like, I want to crack open the Bible again. And, and I get it. So like, fine. Like Rumi, Rumi has been a huge, yes. uh, I talked to just a good friend. I'll kind of name drop, but his name's Chris Rock. He runs an organization called street Psalms out of Tacoma. And, and he told me a story a couple of days ago about, um, there was this, this priest that had kind of like almost walked away from his faith. And he was like, I had to open up Rumi because Rumi helped me pray again. Mm. And so I think like they're like the Rumi's, um, the Gandhi's, the Dalai Lama, like there are just so many like spiritual, like godfathers and, and godmothers, right. That are just like so inspirational, but also like help, help us tap into the divine and, don't be afraid of that. I think. Um, so I guess all that to say first, my, my thing is like in the reconstructing or the reordering, like 
it might not look like Preston's, um, but follow God in, in whatever way God is calling you, wherever he or she is calling you, like follow God mm. in, in that spiritual awakening. Um, yeah. So I think that's big. Um, I also think like, you know, really, if you are interested in, in reading the Bible again, it's like tap into those, those people that read it through a different lens. I think one of the best perspectives I was given was like, especially when we talk about like post-colonial, like decolonizing your, your lens, right? Mm-hmm. Do you read the Bible through a perspective of the empire? Or do you read it through the perspective of the kingdom and the marginalized? Mm-hmm. And I think when you can read it from um, through the lens of those that are marginalized in the text, um, it just gives you a whole new perspective. Like we as America, we always want to associate like we're like Israel. Right. We're like Babylon. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, yeah. I just think like find those, those theologians or those people, the Rachel held Evans of the world that yeah. give you a perspective that you're like, Oh my gosh, I never saw the text like that. The Rob Bells. Um, so I, I think that would be my encouragement, but um, I think it's just like, follow the the wisdom of the mystics. Yeah. Know, Richard would say. And, and I think, not that Richard has everything together because he's human, but like that man, he's on to something. Um, yeah. So tap into him. You know, I just think continue to seek and trust that God in whatever form is leading you. And, and you might not get to where Preston is and that's okay. But yeah. I have, and I'm, I'm deeply grateful for that. And I'm so grateful that like God has given me a new lens to which to not only see the Bible, but to see the world and, and yeah. really kind of this prophetic stream. Mm. So, so good, man. Yeah. So good, man. Thank you so much for, for coming on and for talking and sharing the stories and opening up hopefully people's eyes to a, another realm of, of life that maybe we have not experienced, you know? Um, yeah. And so giving us perspective from your experiences of going in and following the spirit, I think I would believe and say, into that work that you've been called to do and sharing that with us, man. I Um, just, I feel honored to be able to share my story. And like I said, if, if I can bring hope or clarity or, um, to anybody like that's, that's great. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's beautiful. It's God honoring work in every aspect of that language. It, it really is. And so I appreciate your work and thank you for, for carving out an hour of time. And if, is there anything that you want to plug anything that uh, you want to point people in the direction to any of your work, any work that's helped you um, if people want to understand more of this? Yeah, I think um, we've got, you know, some exciting stuff just kind of brewing and I'll keep you in the loop on that. And, um, others that kind of, if they get connected with, with myself, I'll keep them in the loop. But I think, you know, like homeboy industries out in LA, father, Greg, um, he's been a personal mentor. Uh, he, and he's helped my faith, like his books, Mm. because he's deeply in that like there's no other man or woman in the world. I think that's as involved in this work 
and he has a lens through which he has his Christian faith. And so I think he's a huge person that I've leaned on. Mm. Um, so I would lean there. We're trying to replicate everything he does. So that's yeah, I would have people go check him out. So awesome. Father Greg Boyle, homeboy industries. Yep. Sweet, sweet. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time and friends. If you have further questions or further inquiry, um, absolutely, absolutely feel free to DM me. Uh, I'll also link your uh, Instagram handle in the bio of this show. And so if people want to get in touch with you, is that okay? If people send yep. you a DM, if they have questions. Yeah, we'll love it. Awesome. Preston, appreciate thank you, you so laugh. much, man. Yeah. listening to the spiritual nomad podcast as always we would love for you to subscribe leave a review and share this channel with a friend if you would like to financially support the spiritual nomad project visit the spiritualnomad.org give to contact luke you can email him directly luke at the spiritualnomad.org or send a direct message on instagram until next time grace peace and love